right. How's everybody doing here this evening? Yeah, that's kind of how it sounded like from the group. It's been a little dead feeling in here, everybody. What? Say it ain't so. All right. I want you to look. <laughs> I want you to look at the person to the right and left of you, and I want you to say, "I'm glad you're here." All right. Now I want you. Now I want you to say, "I'm ready for the word of God." I want you to take your pointer finger. I want you to point up here at the podium at me and go, Jesus be with him. There we go. Okay. Get a little more loosened up in here. All right. Actually, here, let me get my stuff going here. Well, I am happy to be here with you guys. Uh, I don't know if you see if you see it, but there's something different about me. Not quite. This is my annual winter coat. This is kind of, this is kind of normal. But, but there's something different about me. I would like to say I've evolved. Because I'm a Spartan finisher, baby. Team Sharknado struck again yesterday, and I got to finish my first Spartan race. This is about half of our group here right now. I think, is Lacey in here somewhere still? Okay, Lacey's in here. Okay. So this is the four of us that were there. Lacey was there with one of her friends, and the Meckhamsons came out, stuff. And Bill, obviously, Bill, Bill's our resident Spartan. And I, I feel like every like like this was like one small step towards his greatness, because he is uh, he is a veteran of veterans when it comes to Spartan races. But uh, but it was so much fun to be able to be out there with everybody. It was a, it was a blast. I know many of you guys did it last year and had a blast. Uh, we missed you this year, though. I wonder why you weren't here with us last yesterday. <laughs> no, I understand the one and done premise now. But uh but yeah, we had a lot of fun. So I'm a little bit sore, so if you see me limping at any given time or if my back just gives out all of a sudden, it's probably because of that yesterday. But we had a ton of fun doing that and I'm glad to be able to be here with everybody. Um all right, so we started last week, Aaron kicked us off. We're doing a little holiday series together called Gift Givers. And the point of this is that we're going to be talking about the things that God has given us that he wants us to use, not for ourselves, but for other people. Okay. And, uh, and Aaron started off last week. He did a phenomenal job last week. I want to give him one more round of applause. He preached on the parable of the talents. And if you remember, one of the, one of the things about that, that parable that's so powerful is that really that all of us have been given things from God to be used. Right? That word talent was, was meant to mean this is something valuable that's been given to you. But for some of us, maybe that's one talent. For some, three. For some, maybe five. But it doesn't matter how many talents you have because all of us have talents. Right. And all of us have talents that we're supposed to give. And I like this point, you know, that we've got to put it to work. That God didn't give you your gifts just to sit on them and do nothing or bury them. He wants you to put them to work. He wants you to use them. And, uh, you know, to kind of continue on with that for our sermon today, uh, I, I was listening to a couple sermons this week in preparation for this one, and, uh, and I heard a, a great analogy that Francis Chan used, so I'm going to steal it. Um, but he was talking about how uh, the gifts that God has given us, the talents that we all possess, uh, I want you to picture it like an, like an actual gift, okay? And I actually had a gift that I was supposed to bring with me, and I left it in my office before I came here, so just picture I'm holding something. 
but imagine that, that God gave you a gift of, of some new rollerblades or, or ice skates. Okay, and I, again, I had rollerblades right here. There, yeah. Um, so you get them, you're like, man, this is so awesome. I, I love rollerblading. So uh, you, you put them on, you, you take them out, you go skating every day because you can this time of year. And you go out, you, maybe, maybe you even find a rink nearby and, and, and go do some free skating. Because, you know, if you've ever been rollerblading or roller skating of any kind at a rink, there's always that one person there, you know, that, that like, that's like in their mid-40s and they're by themselves, just skating around, showing off for all the middle schoolers. But maybe that's you. Maybe you're the one that you go out and you're just like, man, I, just, I love skating so much. I'm going to go out by myself. I'm going to go skate it up. And you're like, man, this is awesome. This is great. And then you show up with the person and they're like, like, oh, yeah, you loving the rollerblades? Yeah, they're, they're awesome. Thank you so much for that. You go, well, well, I didn't, I didn't give them to you for you just to use them by yourself. I gave them to you because I'm starting a hockey team. And I gave you, I, I gave you this gift because I want you to be a part of it with us. And together, we're going to join the NHL. We've got an expansion team that we're working on. It's, it's going to be awesome. We're going to go out there. We're just going to dominate. But this gift I gave you, it wasn't meant for you just to enjoy it by yourself. It was to use to be a part of my team. That God has given us all gifts and talents to use, but they're not for you. They're for Him and for each other. And so we're going to continue on with this concept today. My title of my sermon for us is called The Gift Exchange. And we're going to say a word of prayer here before we jump into the scriptures, and, uh, and we'll get into it here. God, I just really want to thank you so much that, again, we get to sit at your feet and be in, be in your word. Uh, so grateful for, uh, for what, we, uh, what we constantly get to learn from you and, uh, and the things that you give us, but not only the things that you give to us, but how you want us to use them. And I pray right now, this time of the year, I know that, that, that it can be easy to get caught up in ourselves. It can be easy to get caught up in our own families, and our own lives, and what's going on. But Father, that, that, that you, you are not done wanting to use us for things outside of ourselves. And I pray, God, that, that, that we're able to really connect with you in the scriptures, that you soften our hearts, prepare us for what you want to share. Please move me out of the way, uh, but use me to speak your word uh, as I should here. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, the gift exchange. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 12 today. So if you turn your Bibles over there, we're pretty much going to be camped out here for the whole time. But we're going to start with a scripture I'm sure many of us are really familiar with. Starting in verse 12, Paul writes here, just as a, as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we are all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. I want to stop here for a moment. So, like I said, I know this is a scripture that for many of us we're very familiar with. But what I love about this is, is Paul uses an analogy here to talk about what this is supposed to be. Talk about what church is supposed to be like, feel like, operate like. And, uh, and he actually uses this analogy in Ephesians, he uses it in Romans, and he uses it here in 1 Corinthians. That we are supposed to be a body. And I love this analogy. 
I know I've shared it, shared it before with the group, but I was a kinesiology major in college. Exercise science is basically a jock major. Like everybody that was there used to be like high school athletes and stuff. We all were dressed like we were perpetually ready to go to the gym. Um, but actually, why I even chose that major was when I was, when I, uh, when I was at community college, I started uh, studying anatomy and physiology. And the more I studied the human body, I just was fascinated by it. I fell in love with the human body, honestly. Because the more that I studied, the more I just found myself just in awe of God. He created this incredible ecosystem inside of all of us. These individual organs and body systems, they're all, they're all separate by themselves, but they're all meant to coexist and work together in this beautiful and harmonious way. It was one of those things where, like, where the more I studied it, I was just like, you'd have to be an absolute moron to look at the human body and think that there's not something going on here behind all of this. And uh, I, had a, I had a professor, actually, that, that uh, you know, we would study out the different body systems. At the end of every test, um, you know, most people don't tend to like essay questions, but at the end of every test, she would ask a question where she would ask how the body system we were studying connects to a different body system. So how does the endocrine system connect to the skeletal system? How does the integumentary system, the fancy way for saying the skin, connect to the circulatory system? And we'd have to make these connections. And, and the more they did that, I was like, man... God made our bodies perfect. Every organ has a purpose. Every system is reliant upon another. That even I was listening to something recently that, that, that scientists have just recently discovered that even the appendix, they're finding out that it's got more purpose than they originally thought. It's not just some vestigial organ. It actually has a function. Right? Because God's not a dummy. But So I love when, when, when Paul says, says us, what we experience here in this room, it's supposed to be like a body. It's supposed to be these individual organs, systems working together that are all reliant on, e- on a part of each other, but also individually needing to take ownership of their role in the body. And how he even describes it, I love what it says in, in, the, uh, in the paragraph here, when it talks about, it says, look, we form one body, if we were baptized disciples, if you were, if you were baptized as a disciple of Jesus, given the Holy Spirit, that means we are all one together. And it doesn't matter if you're a Jew, a Gentile, slave, or free. And I want you to even consider that for a moment. Like, I, I, was, I was thinking about this this week. What we experience here in this room, there is nothing like this. Nothing like this. There has never been in the history of the world a fully functioning group of all these different races, backgrounds, histories, cultures that work together the way a church does. The great experiment of America, right? This whole, this country that has constant immigration going on uh, around us is this attempt to try to create, in some regards, what God says, no, 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 this is really where where you're going to see it. There's nothing like this. I don't care what your history is. It doesn't matter what skin color you have. It doesn't matter who your parents are. We are all one in this together. We all get to share in the same experience with Jesus, no matter what. And I love that. I love that people can walk in here and go, man, this is, this is a diverse group. We're not all, we don't all look alike. We don't all sound alike. We don't all have the same shared experience, except for most of the Hernandezes.
But this only happens inside the church. That's not something to miss. But then he goes on and he elaborates in this. It's starting in verse 14. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. We'll stop here. So Paul, Paul continues in this discourse. I don't know if, we've ever kind of, if you've ever broken it down like this before because he, in this paragraph he does something different than what he does in the next paragraph. This paragraph, what he's trying to communicate to us is that every single one of you has importance in this group. The next paragraph we'll get to in just a minute is about how not only am I important to you, but you are important to me. But he starts by saying, look, we have to, start to, we have to understand something here. You play a role. You are significant. God gave you specific talents. Gifts, a personality, skill sets. God has given you, not me, those things, and you play an important role to what God is trying to do here with the greater whole. It doesn't matter if you're a heart, a lung, a pinky toe, if you're the appendix, you have a role to play here. And this is a very important thing for us to grasp because if you're like me, you are deeply insecure. Deeply insecure, constantly questioning your value. Am I really that important? Am I really that significant? You know, I wish I could play the guitar like Drew does. I wish I carried a presence and a a confidence the way James Hammond does when he's on stage. (laughs) I wish I loved the poor like Sean does. So much of our nature, we are built in with this, with this perception of devaluing ourselves based on comparing ourselves to other people. My gifts aren't as significant as theirs. Because of, because of my history, I'm more damaged, so I probably don't have as much to offer as this person. We're constantly filled with these things. You maybe have had some of those thoughts today as you walked into church. You know, beyond that, I mean, I, I was raised as a kingdom kid. My dad's been a minister. So I, th- there's even this jaded perspective that I can get about how significant the roles on stage are. That I'm up here with a microphone and a clicker. <laughs> so that means my role is more important than Fabian, the ushers. And obviously I'm using hyperbole here because I don't actually feel that. Fabian's role is just as important as mine. And so part of why Paul's trying to get this into our head is because he knows that's, that's not how we tend to operate. We tend to, result, we, we tend to revert to insignificance. And, th- and I think there's a couple reasons for that. Partially because I think we, we are naturally insecure 
And we don't naturally feel good about ourselves. I was with the Kingdom Kids uh, workers earlier doing, uh, doing communion together. And I asked them even a question and said, I want you to think about one part of your body that you're grateful for. How many of us could just naturally just throw that out there? <laughs> Probably not many of us, right? That's a very insecure question. It's kind of weird. Right? Darren said he thinks he has beautiful feet. But that's not in our nature because we see flaws. And so he's trying to address the insecurity, but there's another part of this as well. That when we're insecure, when we don't feel valued, we tend to not think of ourselves as players in what God is doing in the bigger picture. And even to the point we can feel like, you know what? It's not a big deal if I don't show up. I'm not a, I'm not a family group leader. Who cares if I'm not at midweek? You know, I'm, I'm not preaching a sermon or leading the worship, so if I'm not there on Sundays, then, then so what? There's a football game on. You know, and this is a little bit more cynical in its nature, but, but we, can do, we can do those kinds of things with ourselves. If my role isn't this, then it must not really matter that much if I'm there or not. And that's just not how God thinks. He's saying here, he says, look, look, it doesn't matter if you're an eye. And, and, you know, it's, it's just such a stupid conversation to think about, too. Like an eye saying, well, because I'm not an ear. It's, it's a ridiculous thing. He's saying, no, no, of course that's valuable. None of you have ever looked in the mirror and thought, well, if I, didn't ha- if I had three ears, it'd be better than having two eyes. <laughs> right? It's stupid. But there's also a part of this. I heard Sean Wooten do an example about this before that I'm going to steal as well. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm stealing a lot of examples today. <laughs> Because, you know, that's, that's how things work. It's all from Jesus. So how many of you guys have ever done a puzzle, especially a big one, and then you get towards the end, and then you experience that? Isn't it like the most, like, frustrating experience at that moment, especially when you start logging the hours in your head or the mental energy you put into it? And your natural, and your natural inclination is to do what? Blame the manufacturer. Or like... Who lost the piece? You opened the box. I saw you do it. You probably dropped the piece. Then we go to that, right? Now, the interesting thing there is when you open up the box and dump out the puzzle pieces, you probably did not notice that there was a piece missing until you start to put it together. And then out of 500 pieces, if you see 499, guess, guess which one you can look at? The one that's missing. That's you, a part of God's church. When you say you're not valuable, when you say you being here doesn't matter, me showing up on time doesn't matter, you're saying, you know what? I don't really fit. I'm not really part of this. Or on another analogy, you consider yourself to not be part of the body, but to be a prosthetic. You're not really significant. You're not really an arm. You're a fake arm. That we put on when you're needed, and then we take off when you don't. Why would God send his son to die for you to think like that? You are significant. You're a part of the bigger picture. Right? But then he doesn't stop there. He continues on in verse 21. Let's keep going. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. That works a little bit better now that we just saw that picture. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. 
And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that the parts should have equal concern for each other. Remember that line. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Let's stop there. So now, he, now Paul continues on. So after he made you feel valuable, he says, okay, you are important to the, to, to the rest of the body. But he goes, and so is everybody else. You need me and I need you. There's nobody in this room that is not important to your spiritual well-being and the grander plan of what God wants to use this group of people for. Not one. And again, this is, this is against our nature. Because we create social hierarchies in all kinds of places. Right? If you're, if you're a part of a pickup basketball team, you create a social hierarchy. You know, at your job, you probably look around and go like, oh, you know, you know Jenny, Jenny needs to work harder because uh, she's not doing, she's not pulling the same weight that the rest of us are. You know, that we, we do this, we, we, we devalue other people as well. And this is so significant that Paul, that Paul says the, what we should have, what should be in this room, is equal concern for each other. You know, that it, that it is different, but, but the way that I feel about my family, I want to feel that for you guys. I want to feel that same level of hurt, that same level of rejoicing. You know, and obviously it's, it's different. My family, God, God put my wife as, as the most important human in my life to care for her. But that we should be caring about what's going on in each other's lives. There's no way you could just come sit in this room, in a pew here, in this church, and not have people care for you. You, you can't be a part of God's church if that's how we treat people. We're more significant than that. And so as part of that, it says, man, you should rejoice together. And as a whole, I think our church is pretty good about that. When good things happen, we celebrate. We do birthdays together. When, when somebody gets baptized, we throw parties. We, we have those things. And also when we suffer. You know, our church is great. The, the, one of the first things we experienced when we first moved out here was, you know, we had, we had the baby. We, got, we all got sick. We had so many things that was like debilitating our household. But there were, there were meals for like weeks that were lined up to help take care of our family. But that's how it should be. And I want us to even just do some self-evaluation in this too to go, okay, have I had that same level of concern for my brothers and sisters in this room? You know, I'm sure if I asked you right now, you probably haven't thought about your pinky toe in a really long time. Right? Until that happens. You know, if you're, if you're, if you're married, you know kind of the, the, the joy of trying to navigate your room in the dark to try not to wake your spouse up. And then you kick the edge of the bed in the middle of the night, and then it feels like death is upon you. Right? You don't think about your pinky toe for 99.999% of your life until this happens, and then it's the only thing you can think about. 
Matter of fact, your whole body drops to the floor and your pinky toe becomes higher than your head at that moment. Right? But that's how our relationships in this room are supposed to be. That when we're hurting, as the Jacobsons are going through their things and needing our prayers, that needs to be on our hearts. You know, Mimi hasn't been here in a couple weeks because she's been at home taking care of Josh. That should be on our hearts. You know, if any one of us went through suffering, we would hope that everybody else in this room was praying for us. That's what it means to be a part of God's church. We're a body. We feel it. But then he gets into it as far as what, what those roles inside of the body look like. Let's continue on. Verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. We'll stop there. So now Paul is saying, look, not, not only are we just individually important, we all have roles to play in the church. And he goes on to kind of elaborate what these roles and gifts are. All right? And I'm going to kind of blaze through some of these and kind of how they could adapt to us today. All right, so he says, first of all, there's, there's apostles. Now, the connection for us is, is this is talking about being a leader. You know, in the first century, they didn't, really, they didn't really have, like, ministers or, like, our kind of role. It was the apostles. But now we don't have apostles anymore. Jesus didn't set that up as something that we need to continue to have. But we do have leaders. We have the staff couples that are, that are full-time working for the church. We have incredible family group leaders. Right? We have, uh, we have kingdom kids leaders. We have... Fabian, the, the head usher over there, working hard even as we speak. Leadership is an important part of the church. And it's needed. And there are those of you that have gifts in here of leadership. And maybe even right now, this is the time that you've got to start stepping up to give those gifts. You know, right now, we're kind of, in some ways, kind of having a crisis of leadership. God has been doing a lot to kind of sift through people's lives and stuff. And we've had some family group leaders that have had to step out of their roles. And our family groups are getting really, really big right now. And yes, I think it's because of God doing some shifting and some moving. But I think it's also because there are those of you in here that have the gift, but you're not using it. And that's got to change. Because the church is important. Because something else I'll say with this is that something that can happen with a misconception, I think that can fall on the family group leaders or for the staff sometimes, is that we can think of leadership and we think that the, the leaders have to be all these things too. But when Paul is talking about these roles, he's not saying four people do seven roles. He's saying there should be seven different types of roles going on in the church constantly. This doesn't need to fall on the family group leaders. Now, I know a lot of us overlap and do several different things, do more things than one, that's okay. But if you're sitting on your butt doing nothing... It's time to pick one. All right? Moving on. Prophets. He's saying, you know what, you know what the church needs? The church needs, needs people that are willing to speak the truth. When the Bible talks about prophecy, he's not talking about people that are, that are having dreams and seeing the future necessarily. 
That did happen sometimes in the Bible. But a prophet is somebody who speaks the truth. That means preachers, man. Some of you guys need to step up to be preachers. For the men, for the women. Some of you guys need to, need to, be, need to be leading communion and doing, doing things where you, where you offer your services to speak the truth of God. Maybe even in your own family groups. Can you, continues on. Oh, healing. Meeting needs within the church and those in the community. And we've got some incredible people in this room that do this regularly. I know Sean, I know we've shared about her a lot, but she, she does a lot of work for the homeless. You know, the, the, medical, uh, the medical ministry kind of has a lot of many little projects that, that they work on to try to help people. Dwayne is constantly trying to figure out new projects and coordinating with people to try to make those things happen. But we need people that are willing to be healers. That are willing to see the needs of people in the church and outside the church and say, I'm not just going to sit here and do nothing. I'm going to step up and serve. Teachers. I love that we've got so many men and women that offer their services for things like like Financial Peace University. You know, the Hernandezes do that every year. Uh, the Yesters doing, uh, doing Disciples in Motion. There are men that lead purity groups. We've got, we've got people that are teaching in all kinds of capacities. But some of you guys have that gift too, and, and you need to find ways to use it. Workers. Now, this one's a broad one. Everybody in this room can and should be a worker. This is, this is just meeting needs in general. If you don't have a specific role in the church, you know what you can do? You can show up early and help, and help Fabian. He is here every single Sunday, and nobody takes his place most of the time. You can serve. You can be an usher. But that means being here before church starts. Staying, out, staying late afterwards. The falls are always here. You know, they, live, they live some of the furthest of any of the disciples in our church, and they're here late every single midweek, picking up the pews and closing up and stuff. Help out. People who are willing to get their hands dirty and serve. Like I said, ushers. We could use your help being a team worker if you'd like to. Being a worship leader. Being a mover, a digger. Do something. Clean a wall. Clean a window. There's lots of things you can do to be a great worker. Tongues. This is a great one. You know, we've got, we've got, when we say tongues, we're not talking about people that are just speaking nonsense or something like that. It means, it means being able to communicate God's word in a different language. And we have a Spanish Bible talk. We've got people who do this. And you know what? The more that we reach out to people like that, we're in a heavy, heavily migrate, migrant area. There's a lot of Spanish speakers out here. You know, the Jehovah's Witnesses came knocking on our door in the first couple of months that we were here. And when I opened the door and said, hello, they're like, oh, you speak English. That was shocking to them. But we need people that can communicate in Espanol. Administrators. This just says that this is a gift in the Bible. Being an administrator is a gift. And if, and if, and if you ever work with administrators, or you've been an administrator, you know that it's a gift. You know, we've got some incredible administrators in this room. I know I, I lift up Martha a ton. She's a great administrator. She, she and I work very closely with each other during youth camp every year. But she is an amazing administrator. But we're always in need of this to plan events, church services, you know, being building supervisors and managers. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Think about the needs that go into having just a normal Sunday church service. There's a lot. We got... Richard and Josh that are constantly t- taking care of AV stuff. We've got Cisco that comes up here by himself pretty much every week 
to take care of all the sound needs. Fabian comes here to handle the ushering. If one of these people doesn't show up, could we even have church? It would be a different kind of church service. You are needed. You are an important part of what God is doing here. Not just on Sundays. The church stretches far beyond a Sunday service. And there's something that, there's something that you've probably heard of before. Does anybody know what this is? The 80-20 rule? It's a business principle. But what it means is that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. In any given business, this is pretty much canon. But that finds its way into the church oftentimes, too. We've got some incredible, incredible family group leaders. But you know what? When it comes to even time, when we've talked about things that we're planning on doing, it's hard to think outside of the family group leaders because they're doing everything. This should never be going on in the church. There should never be 80% of people coming to church late, sitting on their hands, doing nothing. Are you a part of the body or are you a prosthetic? And if this has been you, it's time to join the, the, the minimum, the, the, the 20%. And let's make it bigger. Let's turn that whole thing yellow. But luckily, Paul does, and I don't want to just think I'm, I'm just bashing the church here. That's not my goal. I apologize if that's what you feel right now. But luckily, Paul does tell us about what we can do to even start changing our perspective on some of these things. I want you to flip over. This is our last scripture in Ephesians 4. All right, come on, Greg. Come on now. So this is right after... Paul gives a similar list that we just read, where he talks about, man, God gave, God gave some specific roles in the church, and he specifically talks about the leadership. And one of the things he says about the leadership here, going into verse 12, is he said, the leaders are to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows up and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And I love this, this passage. I wanted to preach this mainly out of this one. But there's so much here to digest, I didn't feel like it was good enough for one sermon. But specifically, I love what Paul says here at the end, when he says, look, the whole body, this church, every person in here, our goal is to, is to be together, to hold each other together, and to grow and build ourselves up together as we each do our own work. God wants us all to step up and take ownership of our role in this church. He says if you're a part of the body, if you're a part of the church, you've got work to do.
And I want you to think for a second. You know, in, in, in kinesiology, whenever we're with clients, we're supposed to ask people what hurts. And I want you to think. How many of you guys have bad shoulders? Like you just you move the shoulder around and you can feel it clicking and popping. What about bad knees? Okay? Bad backs. Maybe you struggle from migraines or headaches. Okay? Stomach issues, anything like that. Okay. So that means we're all here in this together. <laughs> Lewis is a dentist, not, not, not a general practitioner, so he can't fix you. But you know what this means? This means in our shared experience, we all know what it's like to have a part of your body not work correctly. And guess what? It stinks. We know what it's like when one part of your body is not agreeing with the rest of it. The same thing goes inside the church. If the church isn't moving forward, it's because something's not working correctly. And it may be, it may be on us as the leaders. God puts a lot of responsibility on us as the, the evangelists, as the shepherds of this church. But it could be you. Because inside God's church, there's no room for takers. God, God wants a church of givers. And I want you to think for yourself. If you've maybe been struggling, you don't, you don't really give very much. You're not a part of anything. You haven't, you haven't been a part of one of, the, one of the service groups or something like that. I want you to think, why not? Because I boiled it down to two, two reasons. It's either fear or selfishness. Fear, maybe that you're, you're afraid of, of what would happen if you put yourself out there. Being afraid of getting hurt, being afraid of getting let down. Maybe you've tried it before and your experience wasn't so good. And that's, that's reasonable. I, I get that. I'm afraid constantly. I was afraid to come up here and preach this. Or maybe it's selfishness. You don't want to. It's easier for you to kind of do your own thing, to not offer your services, to not have to do anything that breaks your routine, anything that would disrupt you getting to sit down and watch football or enjoy more time with your family, whatever it may be. It's time to stop being a taker, though. Maybe step out on faith to conquer your fear and see what happens when you give. Or maybe it's just time for you to stop being so into yourself, stop navel-gazing, Consider the people that are maybe kicking their own butts to be here to serve God's church and get over yourself. And the reason for this, I want to end on an encouraging note. Amen? What Paul is talking about here is that we need to serve for many reasons. One of the specific reasons is he says, that helps us to grow up spiritually. It says when you're when the when the, the body of Christ, as it describes, when they're when they're when they're equipped for works of service and they're being built up, it says then you will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves. The idea is that man, if you're immature spiritually, it's probably because you're not giving yourself. It's probably because you're not stepping up to serve. And if you do, you will grow up spiritually. You will learn things about yourself and your relationship with God that you wouldn't. 
You know, leadership has been one of the best things that's ever happened to me spiritually because it exposes my weaknesses. It exposes things that are not right in my relationship with God. And I don't like that. But I believe if I'm going to make it to heaven, I need it. You know, I like sharing this story too. Uh, when I was in college, I know you guys see me up here leading the worship oftentimes, and, and what you see now is a very different experience than what was there 12 years ago. When I was in college, uh, my roommate was incredibly talented. He wrote several songs, several new songs in our songbook. He was a music major. He had perfect pitch. He could play all these instruments. He practiced opera in like a several different languages in our room. It was, it was ridiculous, okay? He, he was annoying. He, he was annoyingly talented. If you guys saw Upside, Upside Down, he played uh, the Apostle Paul, or Peter. Sorry, he played the Apostle Peter in Upside Down, Chase McIntosh. Um, but there was this, this, this time that happened, and I, I, at that time I was learning to play the guitar. I was trying to work on my singing and, and grow in my worship and that kind of thing. And I remember there was this campus devo where he was leading, uh, he was leading the worship, and he was like, hey, we're going to do something different. Is there anybody that would like to lead a song here tonight? And nobody raised their hand. I'm like looking around, and I was like, I'll do it. And he goes, anybody? <laughs> anybody at all? That happened. He claims it didn't happen, but I'll never forget it. Okay? Then, and actually, a couple of years later, I ended up being on the worship team at, at our international campus conference. Um, and there was a brother that was in our campus ministry that came up to me afterwards. He was like, I did not know you could sing like that. I thought you were tone deaf the entire time I knew you. And I share that partially in, in fun, but, but also I believe part of why you see me up here is because I was willing to give what I had. I gave what I could, and God grew it. God used other people in my life to help me to hone it. The gifts that I've been given, I don't believe, are something that I just, I, I just got all this natural God-given talent. They're things that God has helped to shape in me. That's part of what Paul is promising here, that if you give... If you serve, if you offer yourself, I want to build you up in your character, in your gifts, and then some. And the last part of it there is he says, but when you serve, when the body of Christ decides to serve, it says we grow together. It says we will grow and to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. The more you and I give and pour yourselves out, the more this starts to look like Jesus. And this is a powerful thing. In Ephesians chapter 2, one of the things that Paul says, he says, look, God designed for the church to represent the manifold wisdom of God to the rest of the world. The more we look like Jesus, the more people will see God in us. But that means each part's got to do its work. And if you're still wrestling with this, maybe you're not sure what your gifts are. I'm going to pray here in just a minute, but this is a QR code to a gift survey that was put together by a church somewhere. I did it, I did it last year. It takes about 10 minutes, but it can help you to even figure out, maybe if you're not totally sure what your gifts and what you have to offer, take a quiz. We're in the age of the internet. There's quizzes for everything. And find out what you have to give. But let's not just sit here and be takers. 
I know that, that, that so many of you in this church, and that is not your hearts at all. But let's continue to grow together so that none of us in this room are takers. But we're giving the gifts that God has given us so we can grow together to be more like Christ. Amen? I love you all. Let's say a word of prayer here to close out our time. Father, I just want to thank you so much for the chance that we get to, uh, again, be here together. And I pray for us as a church. I pray that you will help us with giving the gifts that you have given to us. God, help us to, to not be fearful. Help us to not be selfish. But instead, to be willing to step out on faith, to, to overcome the, the, the undisciplined or whatever might be in our hearts that's preventing us from giving. God, and help us to give you our best. Father, I love this church so much. We are, I'm so grateful for those that do pour, out, pour themselves out constantly, but I'm grateful for every man and woman in this group. And I have so much vision, and I know you do too, of, of what we could be in the future. What this group could look like if all of us decide to give our hearts and to give our talents to you. We love you so much, Father, and it's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.